everybody, this is Rafe Telch, and this is episode 12 of Have Not Seen This, a weekly in-depth look at a much-beloved movie, selected specifically by our guest, that they're a little surprised when they find out people have not seen. You know, the more I think I'm a movie person, the more I realize how many movies I have not seen. Now, that's practically paraphrasing this week's guest, but it's also almost a brand new slogan for this show. It feels like every week I'm introduced to new movies, and some of them just absolutely amaze me. And yet, while I'm following them down a rabbit hole, I'm finding even more movies I have not seen, whether it's from other film podcasts or the algorithm says, giving recommendations based on whatever we're talking about that week, or just coming across other films I haven't seen. And the Friday Inquiry this week kind of did that exact same thing. Last week, we talked about Dark City, and I posed the question online on Friday about what's a movie that messed with your mind. Not that Dark City really messed with my mind, per se, but because the main character in Dark City had his mind messed with over the course of the story. I figured it made for a good topic. So what's a movie that messed with your mind? And the answers provide a variety of movies, many of which I have not seen. Monica Siegfried said, In the Mouth of Madness, I literally told my husband that I wanted it out of the house and never wanted to see it again. James Rodders Rodriguez said, Mother, although babies are apparently finger-looking good. Chris Eklund said, Either The Vanishing or The Audition topped the list. Gabriel Millikay said, Solaris and Coherence. And Jeff Clark said, Moon. Chris Talent chimed in, Mine is Primer. I think I watched it four times, and I still don't understand all the little details within the story hidden between the elements. And finally, on Twitter, longtime fan Marco Sates said, The Hole, featuring a very young Kira Knightley. I agree with In the Mouth of Madness being a nice mind-bender. Uh, I happen to love it. It's one of my absolute favorite John Carpenter movies, but uh, Monica and I ended up having an in-depth conversation about how she did not like it. And Mother is a movie I haven't thought about since I saw it in the theater and left the theater wondering what the heck I had just seen, but knowing that I liked it. I definitely need to revisit it again. It, it is a complete and total mind-bender of a movie. If you've not checked it out, it's really worth seeing, but be prepared to be confused. The Vanishing, Audition, Solaris, Coherence, I have not seen any of these movies, and some of them I know I need to go see, I just haven't gotten around to. Moon, I've talked about on the podcast before, fantastic film, and Primer has been on my queue forever, and yet somehow I never pull the trigger on watching it, so I need to fix that. As I said, the more I think I'm a movie person, the more movies I realize I have not seen. So I post uh, my Friday inquiry each week on social media. You can find us on Twitter at Have Not Seen This, on Facebook at Have Not Seen This Podcast. Those are posted on Fridays, and hopefully a good conversation comes around from those. This week, we have another movie that I had not seen prior to being introduced to it in the podcast. In fact, I hadn't even really heard of it. It's a 1998 film called SLC Punk, and it's brought to us from an old friend of mine. Uh, I'm a friend with their whole family, and in fact, I'll be having another of his family members on here in just a few weeks, uh, Jono Uber. So this movie follows a couple of people in the punk movement in Salt Lake City, hence the title SLC Punk, and it's a film that somehow completely escaped my radar, even though this was close to when I started getting involved in film criticism, but I, I hadn't heard of it, and it has a post-scream Matthew Lillard in it, as well as an early Jason Siegel who goes on to do How I Met Your Mother and The Muppets and many other amazing things. So it's totally worth a look. I really enjoyed watching it, and Jono and I ended up having a great conversation. So here we go with 1998's SLC Punk. Snowcaps, the absolute worst thing for working in a movie theater? Uh, no, not at all, actually. Uh, I would say the soda is the worst thing for working in a movie theater. Oh, yeah. I hated snow caps because you just couldn't get all the little pingy things clean. <laughs> no, nah, for me, it's it's the sodas that spill down the aisles. So then it gets sticky and, and mopping a movie theater is 
a pain in the butt having to walk through every single aisle and then everyone dumping all their sodas in the trash. You know, then you got trash bags at the end of the night that are just full of soda. Yeah. At least it was soda. The movie theater I worked in served alcohol. Uh, yeah. Okay. All right. I'll give you that one. I'll give you that one. <laughs> so I got to, and I helped open the place. I got to deal with the first uh, drunken vomiting in the movie theater. Mm. And yeah, the, the, the full wet garbage bags at the end of the night are way too much fun. Indeed. Gotta say though, I mean, mo- working in a movie theater, that was a great job. Why? How come? I mean, you got to watch movies for free. Like that, right. that was about the best thing. I got more than my money's worth just out of free movies alone. Cause you know, even if I wasn't working, I was up there just about every night. So I could go and watch every movie that came out. Like for the, for the period of time that I worked in that movie theater, there's not a movie that came out that I didn't see with one exception. And the one exception is Napoleon dynamite, which is the only movie I have walked out on in my entire life. And I stand by that decision. I I know people love that movie. I can't stand it. I just, I refuse. I will not ever, ever give in for Napoleon dynamite. I'm with you on that. I think it's highly overrated by the people who like it. I'm not, I I didn't, I mean, I watched the whole movie, but I'm not a fan of it. So I totally understand. No, I had the opposite experience because I was doing movie theater as a second job. Okay. And so all the free time I had was working at my second job. So I think I saw for the eight months that I worked at the movie theater, I think I saw two or three movies that I actually got to see. Oh man. No. Yeah. No, I see. I mean, that was the advantage of it, you know, being my only job and I was in high school. So, you know, it was, it was great. You know, we would watch movies and we'd close down the theater and then we could even watch a movie after the theater was closed and then head to Waffle House and hang out until the sun rose and, you know, and then go home, rinse and repeat. See, that sounds like a much more enjoyable experience working at a movie theater than the one I had. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so you're in your 20s now? No, man, 32. Oh my goodness. I know. I know. That's oh. why I'm so surprised. Like I've, I've been at UPS now for 14 years, so. Boy, we're really on similar tracks. Worked in movie theater. You're for UPS. I'm working postal service. So yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> 32. I feel so old now. Sorry, man. Oh, it's all good. It's all good. So uh, we're talking about this this week. The movie you picked out is uh, SLC Punk. Yes. Written and directed by James Marandino, starring Matthew Lillard, Michael A. Gorgian, Annabeth Gish, Jennifer Leanne, and Christopher McDonald. Yes. And this was a movie. Oh, and Jason Siegel. Got to throw that one in there, too. Oh, man. Yeah, was, you cannot forget him. No. I love living in the city. Meet Steve Owen Bob. They were the only two punks living in Salt Lake City. We come from the east. What the hell are you? We're, uh, we're from England. (laughs) England. That's probably why we seem so weird to you, man. Their only way to understand the world was to be totally misunderstood. And when you're living in the most conservative city in America, do you A, conform? This rebellion things you're going through, I I, I understand it, not completely, but uh, I respect it. B, learn to cope. I am the future. I am the future of this great nation. Steven, I didn't I didn't sell out, son. I bought in. Or C. Is he gonna be okay? Oh, yeah, he'll be fine, I'm sure. Thank you, though. None of the above. I am Aladdin, and this is my lamp. I wished for you, and here you are. Bob was in love. You're like a poet, dude. I just started thinking, you know, Salt Lake ain't that bad. I know, no, no, I mean, I know it sucks and all, but you know, this is like. This is like home, you know? Matthew Lillard, star of Scream and She's All That. (laughs) And Michael Gorgian in a film about living life. If I knew what was ahead of me, I may have stayed in bed. Life is like that. Never have so many of Satan's followers been amassed on the earth as there are now. What? And getting out alive. 666. Mark will be on all of them. Oh, my God! With attitude. Go, go, go! Told you those boys were trouble. What's your major going to be? I want to save the rainforest. Somebody's got to fight for them. 
Salt Lake City Punk. I had never even heard of this movie before you brought it up. <laughs> and when I, as soon as I watched the trailer, I was shocked that I hadn't heard of it because I really like Matthew Lillard. This came mm-hmm. out in 1998 slash 1999, depending on what resource you go by. I think it did like film festivals maybe in 98 and went for a wide release in 99. I think it actually won the cans, didn't it? Uh, I don't think it won, but it opened a film festival. I don't remember which one um, from my preliminary research on it. But this is on the heels of Matthew Lillard, you know, starring in the first Scream movie. Yes. And this is like, it's not his immediate next project, but it's right on the heels of it. So I would have thought that this had been a, a bigger deal. And it's it's not. You know, it, it, it was one that I had never even heard of. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, not just that he's it's riding on the heels of Matthew Lillard and Scream, but also, in my opinion, that it's such a good movie and and just hasn't got the circulation that it deserves. And I just dawned on me that Jennifer Leanne, who plays Sandy, she was Kess in Star Trek Voyager starting in 1995. So this is like after she left Voyager, this is what she did. Or as she was doing Voyager, she did this. Interesting. Hmm. Um, so the, the question I always open with is, um, h- how do you describe this movie to someone who's not seen it? Uh, I have to admit, I've been trying to construct an answer for that question, knowing that it's coming and it's a little difficult to put together, but I would say that it's uh, a, a story about friendship and finding your place in society and that kind of transition from childhood to adulthood. That's a really good description of it. So what, why is this your pick? And, and you kind of answered this in, in, when you, when you submitted this to me, yeah. why, why all the movies that are out there, why is this your choice of a movie to talk about? A, it's, it's a really good movie and B, when I found this movie, I was right in that stage of, you know, moving from high school into college and kind of the, the era in their life that these characters are discussing. And it definitely impacted me in a, a, a big way because I, I, also am kind of, uh, or at least was very counterculture and, you know, kind of, no, man, I'm not a part of the, the system and everything like, no, I, I don't want anything to do with any of that. And, you know, it's, it's very much relatable to these characters and some of their outlooks on life and to kind of see their journey compared to my own, especially looking at it now, like 15 years later, it's, it's a really interesting trip for me. So. Is it a movie that you still make that connection with? Because I, like, I have a movie that I was, I want to say the characters in it were dealing with turning 30. Okay. I want to say it was that, that mark of life. And I found this movie a couple of years before I turned 30 and was like, I really connected with it. Mm-hmm. And then I've gone back and watched it since then, since I turned 30 and was like, wow, this is actually a really bad movie. So is it is it still a film that you connect with or that you can remember that connection with? Absolutely. Uh, I don't think it's lost any of its potency for me. Uh, I still very much believe that uh, I, I, as a person, am a sum of my parts. And so even if I've grown out of something, which I have not entirely outgrown, the kind of you know sympathies that are expressed in this movie – that it's still a part of who I am because, you know, it's very much a part of who I was to get to where I am now. And so when I look back on this, I mean, it's definitely more representative, representative, sorry, of a different time in my life, but Mm -hmm. it's still very much a part of like who I am. Gotcha. So just to to give our listeners a, 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 a quick synopsis of the film, and then I want to follow that track is the film follows two punks, they consider themselves probably to be the only two punks in Salt Lake City. That's why it's SLC Punk, uh, Steve-O and Heroin Bob. And they're kind of acclimating to life post-college, that they're right on the cusp of of having finished college and trying to figure out what to do with their life and celebrating anarchy, but at the same time kind of coming to terms with this idea that maybe everything they believe in doesn't really have a place in the world. Maybe there isn't really a place in the world for anarchy. 
and they're, they're almost reaching the point where they have to join the system. I'll give you that. But the, I mean, there's also a large part of the movie that they spend tearing down other people's systems. True. True. Uh, which I, I think is really kind of a part of finding your place in the world is, you know, what is it that you do actually, you actually subscribe to. And so, you know, when they're talking to, you know, their father and he's like, you know, okay, well you left New York, the Mecca and hub of all this cultural revolution to come to Utah, just to perpetuate this system of like greed and, 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 you know, vileness and everything. It's like, he's not entirely wrong in what he's saying, but I mean, it's also not an uncommon thing for people to do. Right. Right. So with, with that in mind, I guess, where in this did it connect with you? Ooh. Where in this did you see yourself reflected up on, on, on the screen? Mm, that's a tough question, man. <laughs> uh, let's see. Yeah, I also know that I, for a fact, my parents are going to be listening to this podcast. So I have to be careful in my answers here. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, you're being punk. You just say what you want, right? Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's the way that goes. Uh, yeah, I, I definitely sympathize with the tearing down uh, other people's ideologies, especially when they're, you know, so full of hypocrisy. Like, uh, you know, I'll go ahead and, and call out my current employer here when, you know, we're adding new positions to the board of directors that pay millions of dollars, but turning around at the same time and saying we can't afford to pay our, you know, lower tier people any additional money and, you know, bringing people in from outside companies while at the same time saying we have a strong policy of promoting from within. It's like, you know, there's a lot of stuff that you see that's really easily identifiable as, as uh, hypocritical and, and just, to, to tear that down and, and not want to be a part of that and to call it out for what it is and, and want to be a part of something different, uh, to find more value in the company of the people around you than in these giant establishments that are now, you know, inescapable, uh, pretty much in modern life. So. Gotcha. Yeah. I, I was surprised at how quickly I got drawn into this movie. It's, it's weird the opening credits are, or the opening scene, I guess I should say, is to Sex and Violence by Exploited. And I remember song. listening to that song when I oh, went yeah. through a, a, a punk phase and was like, so a lot of the music of this movie you know, yeah. brought back like part of my youth that I had entirely forgotten about. Yeah. I actually, I'm, I'm surprised I got this far without mentioning the music because I'm very much a music person. So that's another really strong point. Uh, when when you went through your punk phase, were you a mosher? I never went to concerts. I've only really ever been to like a handful of concerts in my life. So I, I never got into the moshing. I got more into the, I mean, for me, it was listening to copied cassette tapes you know, that a friend had, had made for me, you know, in my bedroom and just kind of headbanging to myself type thing. I, right. I, I mean, I, I got into the music. I didn't necessarily get into the punk movement, uh, Okay, but I, I, I got into quite a bit of the music, you know, corrosion of conformity, misfits, um, Guar is local for me. They're, you know, they were started in Richmond. So right. that's only a couple hours away. So, you know, bands like that I got into, but I didn't, the the high school that I went to, like I got my music from a friend of mine who went to a different school. The high school that I went to, there was the punk didn't exist there. Mm. <laughs> I would have been the only punk at that school. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I had to do a similar thing with music where I got it from a friend because you know it was when I was in high school it was the age of Napster and LimeWire and all the other computer cancers that you could occasionally get music from. Right. Uh, it's fun. I, I had a friend and he would burn up CDs for me with, with bands like Korn and Disturbed and, you know, all these bands that I loved, but, you know, was not allowed to have. So, uh, you know, just mark them off as like, oh, this is Andy's mix one. And, <laughs> but it's like, oh, no, that's that's the Korn self-titled album. It's one because that was their first album. <laughs> 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 
Yeah, I I don't envy my son the position he'll be in to try and sneak stuff like that because, you know, you, you learn the tricks. You you were a kid once too. And so it's like my son's going to get to that point where he's going to try and pull stuff over on me. And it's, you know, I'm going to let him probably because that's also part of growing up, but I'm right. not going to, you know, just give it to him. But it, yeah, that guy, I mean, I, I still remember those cassette tapes where, and they were like, he had recorded over some other bullshit music, you know, and, yeah. and then scribbled in Sharpie the name of whatever band it was actually supposed to be. You see, what's the funny thing is that my father told me that uh, when he was young, you know, he would try tricks and learn tricks, but he couldn't do the tricks that his father had done because his father knew those tricks, but that the tricks just keep changing. So I, I expect by the time my son is is to of an age where he's going to try and run stuff by me, the tricks are going to have switched up so much that he's, he's probably going to be very successful. <laughs> so you're just going ahead and giving him credit for pulling it over on you. I, I, I'm already trying to resign myself to the idea of my son is going to pull the wool over my eyes because it's going to be some new fandangled device or methodology that I wouldn't think of. And and he'll get it around me. Well, let me take a look real quick at kind of how the critics responded to this movie. Okay. It currently sits at a 63% on Rotten Tomatoes with an 89% audience score. So the audience really likes it. And the critics were met on it. Although all of their reviews tended to be still like a fresh review as opposed to, you know, the tomato splat. Okay. Uh, It sits at 50% at Metacritic. Roger Ebert, I almost always try and use Roger Ebert. Roger Ebert said, in this season of blaming everything on the movies, a film like SLC Punk will no doubt inspire knee-jerk moralists to deplore its depiction of an anarcho-punk lifestyle. But remember, a movie isn't about what it's about, but about how it's about it. What SLC Punk is really about is Steve-O's ironic distance on his lifestyle, about the way he lives it and analyzes it at the same time. The message isn't live this way, but look at the way you live. There's a little something there for all of us. On the flip side, filmthreat.com reviews it saying, what begins as a poetically offbeat comedy full of energy and verve turns woefully mundane as the protagonists become introspective and enlightened. Matthew Lillard and Michael A. Gorjan play the colorful thrashers. They've just graduated college where they failed to bring down the system and are now content to shelve themselves in as the ushers of anarchy. There's not too much to their caricatures except a smattering of acerbically witty diatribes and a handful of raucous misadventures, each instigated by drugs and resulting in physical altercation. Lillard, who brought his likable frenetic presence to scream and she's all that, is pretty much on the money here. The rest of the cast, including Annabelle Gish and Christopher McDonald as Lillard's dad, get some gleefully black moments, too, and the edgy in-your-face soundtrack is one infectious adrenaline rush. It's just too bad that SLC Punk decides to get sober, serious, and self-reflective. I find it interesting that you have both critics talking about how it becomes an introspective story, and one says that that's its strength, and the other critic says that that's its weakness. So what what do you think? Uh, definitely going to have to side with Roger Ebert on this one and uh, say that the introspective part of it is part of what makes it so powerful. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think if you had just done it as two punks and not tried to get that depth, then it, it wouldn't have been as good a movie no. to me. And uh, I don't I don't know who what was that threat film? Filmthreat.com. The reviewer's name is not listed. It's just a, the, the, it was just the website. Several of the bad reviews or or what would be considered bad reviews Uh were very poorly written or lacked credit. Like there was, there was no credit given for who wrote it. I think so too. I mean, who's going to down talk a witty diatribe, especially the the ones that you see in, in this particular film with supporting slideshows, I might add. (laughs) Yeah. So I I think, to me, the introspection is a really important part of the movie, that it's not just Matthew Lillard, because he's our narrator. He's, you know, he he breaks the fourth wall. He talks directly to us through the camera. He gives us the overall narration. It's him not just bitching about the world and the different groups that they kind of poke fun at, as you said, but it's also him discovering his own weaknesses and his, his own shortcomings and, and the shortcomings of the punk movement as a whole. Right. And if, if you really want to 
break it down in, in a more analytical style, I mean, there's three different ways to tell a story. There's man versus man, man versus environment, and man versus self. And this movie kind of has all three of those. So you have the fact that they're a part of this punk movement in Salt Lake City, which is a very religiously oppressive place. And that's so that's him fighting his environment and all of this establishment around him. Uh, man versus man, you've got him versus all of the other groups, especially the rednecks when they have all these fights that he then goes into further analyzing. And then man versus self, where he has this introspection and he's starting to realize that these views that he's held for so long and the way that he lives his life is not necessarily something that holds water and that he needs to really, really evaluate his own ideas uh, before he can continue on in the same fashion. Yeah, I totally agree with all of that. <laughs> I, I thought Lillard was great in this. Yeah, I think it's his best role. I yeah, I think so too. And I, I mean, I hadn't really considered what his career has been. I mean, I knew him from Scream. I knew him from the Scooby Doo movies. I didn't realize he's basically become the voice of Shaggy over the last decade. Oh, has he? Yeah, if you see a Scooby-Doo movie, Scooby-Doo animated thing, Matthew Lillard has basically taken over the role of Shaggy. I didn't realize that. But as far as his career goes, again, when I saw the trailer for this, I was like, how have I not heard about this? And it really is one of the best roles he's done, if not the best role. Close runner-up would be 13 Ghosts, but uh, yeah, this one definitely takes a cake. <laughs> I love 13 Ghosts. You're not going to talk me out of it. <laughs> hey, to each their own, man. I'm not going to try. <laughs> I find it interesting that it is set in Salt Lake City, and that is a, a key point of it. And this is somewhat autobiographical yeah. from the director, but they 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 do mention the oppression of being in Salt Lake City, but they don't really focus on the religious aspect of it at any given point in the film. Uh, it's not... It, doesn't jump front and like I, I could have seen this easily being a 90 minute movie bashing on Mormonism and it's not right. No, I mean, they, I think they do hit on it a little bit when they're talking about getting the beer because well, they, yeah. they can only the, have the certain alcohol percentage because of where they live. So they have to go to uh, Wyoming to go get their beer if they want actual beer. Right. Right. But they even that isn't. Yeah, it's, it's not bashing Mormonism, but it is a small example of the, the kind of religious oppression in that area where it's it's down to, you know, the number of alcohol stores available and the type of alcohol that they sell. Yeah. Talked about Lillard for let's talk about some of the other performances in this uh, as well. You know, we mentioned, well, let's let's, of course, start with Steve-O's sidekick here, uh, Michael Gorgian playing heroin Bob, right. which is still, I think the movie's greatest punchline that yes. the name is ironic because he can't stand needles and he doesn't take medication mm -hmm. that blew my mind when they, you know, jumped into that idea and, and they, they go a long way to get that joke, but that that's a really funny punchline that you have a character named heroin Bob who doesn't do drugs. Right. And is afraid of doctors and needles and yeah, yeah, and all of that and everything. Yeah. I, his performance to me was really interesting because he starts out as this character full of rage mm -hmm. and, and very angry. And of course we see that at the beginning when he, he breaks his hand or, or cuts open his hand and gets that infected wound. Right. Uh, which I love. He has that line. They named a disease after me. Yes. <laughs> and, and he's just a character full of rage. And then, you don't realize that that is slowly cooling over the point of the movie until he and, and Trish are talking about getting married. Right. And he says something like, I'm not that person anymore. I've changed. Mm -hmm. Get off on pain. Hey, Bob, tell I get off on pain, please. Yeah, he does. You know, I mail it out a lot, but Steve is fucking hardcore. Yeah. And you realize, yeah, he has. He, this, uh, that underlying fury isn't there anymore. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know how much we want to give away about... Uh... Oh, we spoil the heck out of the movies. Okay. You're, you're absolutely fine to... Yeah. All right. Because well, I, don't, I don't think we can talk about this movie without talking about yeah. that final scene. Well, I'm, anyway, I'm not even so. talking about the, the one you probably think of. I'm talking about when he first introduces 
Steve-O's character to the punk music. And yeah, well, I definitely want to talk about that scene. Yeah. So yeah, because he's he's kind of the catalyst for this whole change in movement and and attitude and the way that they're presenting themselves. And so it's kind of interesting that he set them on that path. But then there comes a point where he's kind of wanting to jump ship, and that upsets Stevo to the point where he'll just write him off entirely and, and blows up on him the way he does. Yeah, he's a poser now. Yes, but here's my question for you about that scene. Is that if I remember correctly, that's that's like the that's the final scene of the movie, right? Showing them as kids. Yes, that is the final final scene. Steve into Dungeons and Dragons and Bob trying to introduce him to this new music. And as they're listening to it, Steve says, What is that? And Bob's response is What is it? Yeah, what is it, Bob? It's new. And that made me wonder, do you think Bob led them into that because he was at all interested in punk? Or do you think they just went down that road because it was something new? I would say they went down that road because it's something new. Because they they didn't like the way that they were perceived as they were, so they wanted to change. And with that new movement came the opportunity to rewrite themselves, to become something different. So it was never about being punk then. It was just about being new and, and or being different and something new from where their lives were. Uh, six in one hand, half dozen in the other. I, I wouldn't say it was never about punk. I would say that uh, the initial reason for them going down that path was to have something new and that along the way, they really embraced those ideals and tried to push that agenda. But then further on down the line, you also see them begin to question that agenda and, and start to, to break from that. So it's not that they never were punk and that it was always about being something new, but more again, just showing how people change over time. So in the beginning, they had this opportunity, they took it, they tried to live that and then eventually broke away from it. And then that once he meets Trish, he starts seeing Salt Lake City as home. And he yeah. says, you know, it's not so bad. And then the line later on, the one that I quoted earlier, is he said, I, I mellowed out a lot. And you realize, and it wasn't until he said that, that I realized that that was true to the character. Like that's, that's in the character work that he's done, but you don't realize it because Bob is a supporting character. You haven't realized just how much that rage isn't there anymore. Right. That's, that's a really good point. Jason Siegel playing a, a very nerdy character. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't call him nerdy to his face, man. That guy's pretty, that guy's pretty intense. I wrote that down before we saw just how intense he could be. But what a what an interesting role for him. Uh, he plays Mike, who does completely look the part of the nerd, button-up shirt, glasses. Hair parted at the center. Right. But is we're told by Steve-O that he's the most intense person he's ever seen. And you get a really interesting sequence of events that kind of shows that to us. Right. Because you have Steve with, uh, is it Sandy that he's with? Yeah, Sandy. Steve with Sandy, who Bob had been going out with. And this is early in the movie when Bob is still full of rage. And instead of dealing with this emotion, he's saying, oh, it's okay. But you can tell from his demeanor, it's not. Right. And instead of dealing with that emotion, he jumps into the mosh pit so that he can basically beat the hell out of someone to take out his aggression. And he ends up on stage and ends up getting beaten by the security. And that's when Mike comes unleashed and he goes from this little nerdy guy that you've seen so far in the movie to just a beast. Yeah. And, and totally takes on the band's bouncer by himself. Right. Right. And apologizes for it later, but yeah. No, I mean, honestly, th this is something I can say from my time in, in mosh pits. It's, it is the strangest thing because you will go in and just like go all out and be hitting people full for not like trying to punch people in the face or anything. It's not about injuring people. It's more about like pitting yourself against others and, you know, exerting yourself in such a way that isn't really normally socially acceptable. Like I can go into a mosh pit and just you know, throw someone around and that's fine. It's, it's expected. And there, there is some collateral damage in there. Like I, I had one guy who 
hit me in the face, like in the nose three times throughout a show. And, you know, it was like had a nice bloody nose at the end of it. But after the show was over, he did. He came right up, gave me a big hug. Just like, hey, man, that was awesome. You know, hug him back. And that's that's kind of the mentality of a, a mosh pit. It's, it's a really interesting dynamic. And I honestly still kind of in love with it. <laughs> do you would you still mosh if you got the chance oh yeah no i i still do it's uh it's a little more embarrassing now that i'm in my 30s you know i can't really uh do what i used to do but absolutely <laughs> yeah see i never really as i said i never really did and i definitely couldn't see myself doing it now i oh. i think i was the few chances I had, I think I was probably too afraid of getting hurt. Uh, you know, just. Yeah, uh, I mean, uh, you, you always feel that little bit of fear. You just got to jump in anyway. You, yeah. It's about, you know, you face your fear. You get in there, you, you exert yourself, you, you survive and you make a couple friends. <laughs> but, no, I mean, it's, it's good. There's, there's actually really interesting code when it comes to moshers because like, like I said, it's not about hurting people. And so if there are people who are trying to hurt people, they often find themselves targeted or, you know, young, young gentlemen who are harassing women oftentimes find themselves put into a pit and they are also persuaded not to uh, continue engaging in said behavior. It kind of has its own governance of, you know, you, you abide by common courtesy or you get singled out and you don't want that. Right. You don't want the focus on you. Right. So o- over the course of the movie, you do have this. This is a, a movie about transition more than it is a movie about punk. We, we have Steve-O. Uh, he has that wonderful scene with his parents where they're trying to encourage him to go to Harvard and yeah. follow in his father's footsteps. Where he has an uh, amazing mohawk. Oh, God. Yeah. And his, his father is played wonderfully by Christopher McDonald who I iconic character actor, you'll recognize him the second you spot him. And he has that great line about, I didn't sell out. I bought in. Yes. I just want to ask uh, real quick, if I can, um, you believe in rebellion, freedom and love, right? Rebellion, freedom. Yes. Love. (laughs) You two are divorced. So love failed. Two, mom, you're a new age of clinging to any kind of scrap of Eastern religion that may justify why the above said love failed. Three, dad, you're a slick, corporate, preppy-ass lawyer. I don't really have to say anything else about you, do I, dad? Four, you moved from New York City, the mecca and hub of the cultural world, to Utah. Nowhere to change nothing, more to perpetuate this cycle of money, greed, fascism, and triviality. I mean, your movement of the people, by the people, and for the people got you nothing. You just hide behind some lost sense of drugs, sex, rock and roll. Oh, kumbaya. I am the future. I am the future of this great nation, which you, Father, so arrogantly saved this world for. Look, I, I have my own agenda. Harvard out. University of Utah in. I'm gonna get a 4.0 in damage. I love you guys. Don't get me wrong. It's all about this. But for the first time in my life, I'm 18 and I can say, fuck you! Steven, I didn't, I didn't sell out, son. I bought in. Keep that in mind. <laughs> but you have him getting accepted into Harvard, even though he didn't even apply. You have Bob as we talked about a minute ago, starting to see Salt Lake City as home and realizing that he could be happy here. Uh You have Mike getting accepted into school and he's going to leave town. Right. On the flip side, you have Sean who overdoses and threatens his mom and ends up being arrested and then homeless on the street because he's trying to stick to those punk ideals, I guess. Mm -hmm. So, You've also got Mark, the, wow. the drug dealer <laughs> character. I mean, you may have been waiting to to save him for later, but I mean, he he goes through a change. He does. I, I guess I just don't see him as part of the same crew. He's he's kind of an outsider, right? He's a bit of an interloper. I got you. Yeah. So again, going back to what you said about seeing, you know, being able to relate to this movie and not being able to see the true application of those messages. Which character in here do you, did you feel like you relate with most in retrospect? Man, I'm going to have to be that guy that picks the main character and say Steve-O. 
Oh, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I mean, if anything, that's the character we get in the deepest with, because right. again, Lillard is our, our narrator. Yeah. So what about him do you think was, was where you connected? That's a good one. Actually, uh, I'm going to bring up a point here and, and tie it into where I, one area where I connect with him. You kind of touched on the fact that he was accepted into Harvard, uh, but initially he didn't go. He decided to go to University of Salt Lake City for his undergraduate degree. He eventually, right. he eventually goes to Harvard for law, but at right. first he, he, he didn't go, which is kind of an interesting thing for him to do, especially when he's in that same conversation criticizing his father for having left one of these great meccas and, and areas of respect to be in Salt Lake. And so now he's choosing to stay in that area. And that that's kind of a, a poor way to describe Louisville. But I do kind of identify with that because a big decision for me was where to go to college. And I think I had a similar reason for staying that he did in that this is where all the people that I cared about were. You know, I, I had a lot of people I wanted to keep in my life. And and so I decided to go to University of Louisville. I could have gone to, you know, anywhere. I could have gone to, you know, California. I could have gone to Washington, like, you know, applied somewhere else. But uh, even though he's he's so counterculture and, and kind of, you know, in people's face about things, he still does have people that he cares about and that he fights fiercely to maintain in his life and doesn't want to leave behind. One of those connections, one of those caring for people that I was, that really impressed me is um, Jen. Yes. Who he introduces us to early in the movie, but then later in the movie when he's at uh, Chris's party and she's, she's gone manic and we learn that she hasn't taken her medication and Steve-O becomes very concerned about that. Right. Like he's, he's definitely a caregiver. In yeah. a strange way, uh, but yeah. <laughs> Sorry. You're getting a little deep there. You okay? I, I am. I am. I'm, 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 you, the question's uh, making me look a lot inside. Like, man, how do I identify with Steve-O? Well, you know, I know I do care deeply about people. I try very fiercely to, to keep certain people in my life. And uh, I, I definitely feel that I don't care for a lot of the the same things that he was fighting against like again talking about trying to tear down other people's structures and everything that uh, are very they're full of hypocrisy and such and uh definitely have a strong affinity for music and uh man that he is really resistant to change and while i try to be someone who embraces change i know that a lot of times i can't be resistant myself and mm-hmm. constantly have to reevaluate myself and how I look at things and question, you know, how much does this actually hold water? So that's the second time you've mentioned music and I, I missed the opportunity the first time. So I'll take advantage of it this time. Okay. I, I mentioned sex and violence, but it actually opens with a piece of classical music and then transitions to sex and violence. Right. You have Moonlight Sonata used later on in the film after, after he turns his back on Sean Mm. and he admits to us as the audience that turning his back on Sean messed him up. And so he drops acid to cope and we have moonlight Sonata playing in that scene for a movie. That's about punk. There's a surprising amount of classical music used here. So why do you think that is, or what do you see in that? Uh, I see in that, that an appreciation for music, usually means an appreciation for all music. If it's something that it has good attributes to it, it doesn't matter what genre it necessarily falls into. Hmm. Okay. I mean, that's, that's a pit trap that I fell into a lot when I was young, where it was like, this is the type the, the type of music that I like. I like hard rock and I'm not going to listen to rap. I'm not going to listen to country. I'm not going to listen to any of this, but I mean, there are good songs out there in, just about every genre. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to sit up here and defend EDM. Sorry, EDM lovers, but <laughs> you're not, you know, I'm not going to help you. Uh, <laughs> but uh, you, you, 
to be a little hypocritical myself, yeah, every genre of music pretty much has has good songs in it. So, I mean, to appreciate music is to appreciate all music that is good or that you find tasteful or that moves you in a certain way. And it doesn't have to be in a certain genre. And I think that actually, that answer right there goes a long way towards what Marandino is trying to say with SLC Punk, which is there's substance to these people. There's depth to these people. It's not just about colored hair and loud music right. and anger, that there is, there's a depth to them beyond the surface level, that Steve-O is a good guy. The hell, Heroin Bob is a good guy, you know, and, and, I, and I think you show that through these characters, but you also can show that through the selection of music and, and that it's not just about locked into this one kind of music. Right. Although I did love his hierarchy uh, that had, um, what was at the bottom of it? The, the New Wave, the New Wave kids yes. were at the bottom of the hierarchy. And they, they didn't <laughs> do anything. Yeah. Yeah. So. I guess we kind of have to talk about the end for heroin Bob's storyline, which I unfortunately had spoiled for me before I no. watched the movie. No. Yeah. yeah. I'll get to that in a second, but yeah, if you have not seen SLC punk and our conversation has it interested you at all, then you probably want to jump ship now. Definitely um, jump ship. So ironically, our character who is, named heroin Bob, but is afraid of needles and hates doctors and hates medication dies of an overdose because of the pills he was given as quote unquote vitamins because he had a headache. Mm -hmm. And that scene is just so much anguish on screen. I mean, Matthew Lillard's performance coming down and finding his friend's body and at first just being very casual because we'd seen this before. We'd seen him come down and kick heroin Bob at the beginning of the movie, you know, yep. time to get up. Oh, okay. You can sleep for two more hours. And this time he comes down time to get up and he realizes his friend's dead and he falls apart. He does. And that's just a heart rending scene, but it also becomes the catalyst for Steve-O leaving the punk lifestyle. Yeah, in short order as well. Yeah, that he he shaves his hair, you know, he's down to a buzz cut, he doesn't have the blue hair anymore, he's in a suit and he knows he's going to go off to Harvard. Right. And he and he ad- admits to us ahead of time as he's saying this, if the kid I was then saw the man that I am now, he'd kick my ass. Right. How do you feel about that? Uh definitely. I sympathize with that. Do you think younger you would kick your ass? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> you didn't even think about that. No, 100%. Yeah. How come? Uh, well, I, uh, I too was an angry youth. Not, not that I'm not entirely unangry at this point, but. Oh, I think I've gotten angrier as I've gotten older. I'm going to be Clint Eastwood, Gran Torino, <laughs> trying to get kids off my lawn. Yeah. No, that's, that's good. I mean, as I get angrier, I think it's more of a a calm anger where whereas when I was younger, it was very much a surface anger. Like I, I was, it, it was always right there at the surface, you know? Mm. And, uh, you know, I, I definitely didn't live my life according to my plan, but I think that, uh, where I am now, I kind of feel that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy where I am. I'm happy with who I am in this, you know, development, but I don't think that a younger me would be able to understand that. And and why do you think that is? Because uh, he hasn't lived the life that I have. He doesn't have the experiences yet. Excellent. And I think we see that that realization in Steve-O as well, going from the guy who tells off his parents to realizing that there's a journey along the way that he's not conscientious of. Right. But I think a huge part of why he's able to do that is because he he lost Bob and not just that the trauma of finding his friend dead, but that when he was living that punk lifestyle with Bob, that's really what he cared about was that relationship he had with his best friend in those times. He didn't want to branch out because he was happy where he was. Right. Even as he was realizing that, you know, his, 
his ideas didn't make sense and that, you know, they were contradictory. He was still fine living that way because he had that connection, that friend. And as soon as Bob threatened to take that away, we see, you know, him snapping at him again, calling him a poser, uh, being really hurtful in a way that tries to draw him back into that. Because I think what really held him there the whole time was actually that friendship that he had. And it's when he loses that, that he finally accepts that, you know, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll put on the suit. I'll go to Harvard. I'll live my life according to the rules that everyone else has. And that I've been smacking this whole time, but yeah, I'll, I'll do all that because what was keeping me in, in this is now gone. So different sequence of events, Bob dies and then he meets Sean. Do you think he still would have turned his back on Sean? Hmm. Do you think the, the pain of losing his friend would inspire him to be a better friend to Sean? Or do you think he still would turn his back on him? Honestly, I think he would still turn his back on him. Okay. Interesting. Uh, yeah. It's, it's interesting, but I think Sean was a bit beyond saving at that point. Well, it's interesting that you say that. Do you know that this movie has a sequel? I do know that the movie has a sequel. I've chosen not to watch it. I'm <laughs> ignorant of all of its. Because you know, yeah. Sean is in the sequel. The sequel came out in 2016. It's called Punk's Dead SLC Punk 2, uh, written and directed by James Marandino. So it is his story or him continuing his own story. And it is the story of Bob's son which means oh. Trish is pregnant at the end of SLC punk man. Okay. Nope. I did not know any of this. You're terrifying me right now, by the way. Well, and that's, that's what spoiled Bob's death for me is I saw there was a sequel and I clicked on it and the opening log line of it on Amazon. I think it is, is it's been 20 years since heroin Bob died in an overdose and now oh. his son. And I was like, well, shit, now I know that heroin Bob's not going to make it through the movie. Um, not to say that that scene didn't have an emotional impact. It still is a hell of a scene, but I knew something was going to happen to Bob. Mm -hmm. So you've not seen the sequel. I have not. No, it's sometimes there are things that I I choose not to watch because I like so much how it ends. Like, right. How season six, episode one was a perfect way to end the entire series. I refuse to watch another episode because that was just perfect done. I don't want to see it. Anything else will just ruin it. No, I gotcha. Well, I, I, the characters that continue on is what fascinated me to the point that I may have to watch it. Uh, Michael Gorgian does appear as heroin Bob. Not really sure how that happens, but Sean is in it. Eddie is in it. Hmm. You know? So I, yeah, I mean, it's, I don't know, Trish, but played by a different actress. Yeah, because it's Annabeth Gish in the original movie, and it's Sarah Clark in the the sequel. Okay, you you might so. just have to let me know how that one is. I don't know for sure that I'm going to watch it, but I I very well may. It is available on Prime, whereas SLC Punk uh, was not. I had to rent it, but uh-huh. the sequel is available on Prime, so I may give it a shot. I may not. I don't know. So. Uh, anything else you wanted to chat about with this one? Uh, I feel like we we didn't necessarily cover the uh, witty diatribes, as the uh, critics put it. Oh, yeah. I mean, his speeches are fantastic. Yeah. The, the amount of effort that they put into breaking everything down from the you know origin of punk rock music to why we fight, I thought were just great sequences. Yeah. And... I liked his take, especially on the uh, the origin of punk. There was a episode of Stuff You Should Know just a couple of months ago that was about punk, and that was one of their speaking points was that the origin of punk is lost, that you have different camps who say it started here and it started there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I found it interesting that that then was brought into this movie as well, and also saying that they really didn't care. But, I mean, he says he has – such great speeches. I mean, we talked about his speech to his parents. Right. Um, the speech at the end where he acknowledges, but like posers were people that look like punks, but they did it for fashion and they were fools. They'd say anarchy in the UK. You see posers. Anarchy in the UK. What's that? 
What good is that to those of us in Utah, America? It was a sex pistol thing, right? They were from England, they were British, that's what they did. They were allowed to go on about anarchy in the UK. You don't live your life by lyrics. And right there saying it's not, it, there's more substance to punk than just the music. Right. What was your, what's your favorite of the speeches that he gives here? Uh, it's got to be why we fight. My, my favorite one. The fight. What does it mean and where does it come from? An essay. Homo sapien, a man. He is alone in the universe. A punker, still a man. He's alone in the universe, but he connects. How? They hit each other. Ooh. You know, that, that whole speech about explaining why they fight and why they find it pleasurable, even though him fighting is actually counterintuitive to anarchy, because when he fights, it's actually fighting for a system, even if the system is anarchy, and that's against what it is he's proposing to believe. So, Yeah, and I loved that, that he he's self-aware enough to realize that there is a contradiction in his actions. Right. You know, and it's, I think that's part of the reason he hits it off so well with Brandy is because she asks him, how is punk just, is it more than just a fashion thing? Right. And you know, wouldn't it be more efficient to fight the system if you weren't going out and spending all your money on blue hair dye? And I, I think that's, you saw that in his character beforehand where he was realizing the, the paradox of trying to live a life of anarchy that then propelled you into systems. Right. Yeah. I, I, I dug that speech too. the whole, the whole uh, contradiction of the system versus anarchy and, and how you, they, they kind of coexist. Yeah. I mean, you can't enforce anarchy without trying to fight for a system. And of course that's where you get the, the hierarchy, the rednecks above punks, punks above mods mods skinheads skinheads heavy metal guys and heavy metal guides new or above new waivers which i'm sad to see that heavy metal guys were so low on that list i mean how do skinheads beat the heavy metal guys (laughs) i agree with that skinheads skinheads need to be the low part of that totem pole well i think that the point he was making with the new waivers was that they didn't fight as opposed to like they were less than right right no, my high school, we had rednecks and we had heavy metal guys, and that's pretty much it. <laughs> oh, man. All right. So the algorithm says, uh, based on al- various algorithms, these are other movies you might like based on SLC Punk. Oh. This is kind of a lightning round. What's your response to this movie? Yes, it's a good movie. No, it's not a good movie. How the hell did this get related to SLC Punk? Although most of yours have a pretty clear theme to them. All right. Let's do uh, this. All right, so Slacker. I uh, don't know it. Oh, that's a good one. Is it? Uh, yeah. Who's in it? If it's, the, if it's the one I'm thinking of, it's Richard Linklater. Yeah, Richard Linklater. It's one of the movies that inspired Kevin Smith to make Clerks. Oh, I like Kevin Smith. All right, Lords of Dogtown. I uh, haven't seen it. Replace punk with skateboarding. skateboarding. Yeah, I, I saw the ads for it, but I'm not a, a skateboard person, so I never really felt like I needed to watch it, honestly. Mall rats. Yeah, I can see the, the parallels there, yeah. Yeah. Detroit Rock City. Oh, yeah. I'm going to give you a yeah. Okay. Suburbia. Sub- like like 2018 Suburbia? Okay, no, I was thinking Suburbicon. Sorry, it's 2017. Yeah. Suburbia? No, Suburbia, 1983. When household tensions and sense of worthlessness overcome Evan, he finds escape when he clings with the orphans of a throwaway society. You know, I I thought I knew a lot of movies until you started in on this lightning round. I've I've never (laughs) seen Suburbia. (laughs) All right. Uh, Airheads. No. (laughs) How do you... Okay, I get that there's you know uh, the, there's a lot of music talk in, in both of those, but no, yeah. <laughs> no Brendan Fraser love. No, I, I love Brendan Fraser. I, I love uh, not Airheads. Brendan Fraser. <laughs> no, I mean I'm even fine with Airheads. Just putting it next to SLC Punk and be like, if you like this, you'll like this. No, you're wrong. Uh, Empire Records. Ah. Uh, uh, a non-emphatic yes. Okay. Uh, the craft. 
I, I've seen the craft. I'm trying to figure out why it's recommending the craft from SLC Punk. Yeah, I I can't. I couldn't figure out a link. That's part of why I put it in this because I was like, "What the hell?" No, I mean, like they both have edgy, dark, young women in it, but that's about it. Yep. <laughs> uh, Sid and Nancy. I don't know Sid and Nancy. Oh, that's one you definitely should add to your list. That's Gary Oldman playing Sid Vicious. Ooh, okay. Yeah. yeah. And then the one that was the biggest question mark for me, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, I have yet to see that. I want to see it so bad. Yeah, but I don't know how it's connected to SLC Punk. <laughs> Maybe there's a witty diatribe in it. <laughs> All right, we always end with the pop quiz. Uh, four questions that are inspired by the movie. Are you ready? Yeah, let's do this. All right, number one, director James Marandino appears several times in SLC Punk. What is not an appearance by the director? A, one of the punks at the explanation of fighting. B, one of the attendees of the parties at Chris's house. C, one of the cops arresting the boys after they buy beer. Or D, the voice that says anarchy in the UK. Uh, I know he says anarchy in the UK. I'm pretty sure he's one of the cops because that's just amusing for him to have that kind of role reversal. I'm going to say B. Uh, no, it's actually one of the cops. Oh, uh, he, man. Yeah. He was one of the punks in the explanation of fighting, and he's in the background at Chris's house. Okay. Uh, he even has a character name in that scene, if I remember correctly, but he's not one of the cops. But yeah, he says anarchy in the UK because he didn't like the way the actor delivered it. Yeah, which, which tells you how personal this project is for him. Oh, yeah. All right. Number two, the filmmaker borrowed from another film in the scene when Sandy references something beautiful and the landscape of Salt Lake City behind her turns apocalyptic. What movie did they borrow from? Terminator 2. Yep. I didn't even give me the options there. <laughs> yeah. Nope. Terminator 2 nope. Judgment nope. Day. Yeah. That one. yeah. <laughs> uh, number three, Matthew Lillard revealed he had to approach the scene where he finds heroin Bob dead in a specific manner. What did he need in order to execute this scene? A, to be alone, B, onions to help him cry, C, a staple up his nails to help cry, or D, a raucous party afterward. Okay, I have to say that you're a cruel soul for thinking of a staple to put up his nails and a raucous <laughs> party, because that man needed to be alone to show that kind of emotion in that scene. He absolutely did. Yeah, yeah, that was his, he he had to be alone. And apparently he thought of his father in order to pull up the emotion for that scene, which oh. again, what an intense scene. Yeah, that's, yeah. All right, last question. Who started the punk movement, the Sex Pistols or the Ramones? Oh, come on. <laughs> There's an answer to that one. Uh, <laughs> it was the Velvet oh, Underground. Oh, Velvet Underground. Okay. Uh, all right. So uh, anything you want to promote anywhere where people can find you? Anything like that? Uh, I can be found, actually. Uh, strangely, I'm not I'm not used to being out there at this point, but I do have a, a Dungeons and Dragons podcast that we've been doing for a bit over a year now. Uh, so and this is the first I'm hearing of this, you bastard. <laughs> I, I didn't. I'm sorry. Yeah, we uh, we've been doing it for a year. First, we did Curse of Strahd. We're doing Fifth Edition. Uh, Curse of Strahd. We we kind of started recording halfway through because it was it was about halfway through the campaign. We decided we want to be able to look back on these times and and be able to laugh and everything. But uh, actually, back in June, we just started the Waterdeep heist is what we're running right now going into the dungeon of the bad mage. Once we finish the, the dragon heist for Waterdeep. So if you want to look us up, we're on iTunes, we're on SoundCloud, we're uh, out there. And our group name is charismatic AF. Charismatic AF is the name of the podcast. That is in fact, the name of the podcast. Yes. Oh, that's fantastic. I'll definitely be checking that out. I'm always looking for more podcasts. So awesome. Yep. Don't, uh, don't get your hopes up too much. Cause the, uh, the first name for our group, like most D and D groups have a collective name. So we ran curse of Strahd and, and we decided our name was charismatic AF. And that's what we ended up calling the podcast. But this, uh, this water deep heist, we started calling ourselves mediocre at best. <laughs> well Jono, i really appreciate this uh again i had not even heard of this movie before you brought it up and i really enjoyed watching it and i appreciate you bringing it to the show oh thank you for having me yeah, absolutely 
That does it for this week, but you can always keep the conversation going throughout the week through social media. You can find me at Talon Hess on Twitter or the show at Have Not Seen This on Twitter. On Facebook, we're at Have Not Seen This Podcast, or you can email me at Have Not Seen This at gmail.com. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to the show so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes. And we've got quite a few doozies coming up. I can tell you that. I've got several recorded ahead, and I'm really looking forward to some of the upcoming episodes. Uh, Podcast is available on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you can get your podcasts. Positive ratings and reviews are always welcome, although I'd appreciate it more if you just help spread the word, help me build up some more listeners. Although there's been a movement to give positive ratings and reviews through the month of December to some of your favorite podcasts. So if you don't do that for us, do it for somebody else, but go be a part of that movement. If you like World of Warcraft or other Blizzard games, be sure to check out my other podcast, Citizens of Azeroth, a World of Warcraft podcast, also available through all major podcast sources. Special thanks to Chris Talent for our wonderful theme song, and thanks to Jono Uber for providing this week's wonderful conversation. Maybe you have a movie you'd like to talk about, one that means something to you, or you're particularly astonished when you discover people have not seen. Well, come be a guest on the show. Head over to havenotseenthis.podbean.com, click the Be a Future Guest button, submit the form there, and we'll get you set up for a future episode. Until next week, I'm Rafe Telsch, and this has been Have Not Seen This. <laughs>